Welcome back to the Novelty Podcast. I'm Mar. And I'm Sadie. And this is the podcast where we read the book so you don't have to. And it's been a minute. It's been a minute. We haven't recorded. I mean, you guys don't know this, but we haven't recorded in a couple weeks. Yes. Um, And so we're back. We are back. And we're rusty. We're we're rusty. (laughs) But we're here and we're going to give we're you 100%. Here. We're going to give you 100%. <laughs> this week's book is really interesting. Um, mm. It's called Good for a Girl. Ooh. Ooh. Automatically. You're like, excuse me? Spine tingling. <laughs> <laughs> women are enraged. <laughs> <laughs> when I first heard the title, I was like, good for a girl? Yeah. What do you mean? Good for it? That's like, the whole written point. Written by a woman? That's <laughs> How could she do that to us? How could she do that to us? <laughs> she betrayed her own sex. <laughs> She's done. No, I think it was. So it's called Good for a Girl. Mm. And it the subtitle is a woman, a woman running in a man's world. Mm. And so this is a story of Lauren Fleshman. And if you don't know who Lauren Fleshman is, like I didn't, yeah. um, we discovered she is one of the most decorated American distance runners of all time. Mm. Very interesting woman. So before we get into the book, Mar, what did you think when we, because we have had this one, we've actually had this title on the list since last, like in the, in the uh, fall. Oh, wow. But really? we, we looked into get, doing this book earlier and mm-hmm. then we realized, oh my gosh, wait, we have it so has, many memoirs. No, it's not even released yet. Oh yeah. This was the book that was released this year. That's crazy. I forgot about that. Yes. So we've had this on the book list, but it is a very, it's like a hot off the press. Mm. It, or, no. Hot, hot off the shelf. <laughs> right? I think it's hot off the Fresh printer. off the press. Fresh off the press. Fresh That's off what the they printer. Say. Fresh off the printer. <laughs> this was pretend. Pre- <laughs> okay, you guys, mind. I'm sorry. We're also recording at night. Yeah. And soon you might be able to see a correlation between when we record at night <laughs> and when we record in the mornings. No. So this book is a new release. Mm. There we go. That's Beautiful. Really good. Simple. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> so what did you think this book was going to be about? Um, so good for a girl running in a man's world. Right. I was like, I did not know it was going to be a memoir. Same. So I was just thinking that it was a story about a, a girl running um, and having to be like proving herself against men. I mm. kind of thought that because like you hear good for a girl and you're like, you know, America's always been like good for a girl like which is like why is that an insult number one you mm-hmm. are a girl so I am good for a girl I am good for my sex category okay like that's like but we look at that and we see it as like such an insult because mm-hmm. like we want to be good for a man like yep. and I think that's what she means by like running in a man's world yep. Um, so I guess I just thought it was gonna be her like trying her hardest to prove that she can be like as good as a man yep yeah no I definitely didn't realize it was gonna be in about uh, it was going to be about a professional athlete. Mm. I think, I think I remember it was going to be about a memoir, um, but I didn't realize who it was. I didn't know how popular she was like <laughs> in, the, in the athletic world. I was like, Oh, okay. I'm just going to be learning about this woman. It was very good. Yeah. I really liked it. It was definitely more, um, specific mm-hmm. and detailed which i appreciated mm. but i think as from a reader's experience there's a lot going on yeah i think with me going into it thinking like oh, well also i can't tell i'm not the type of person and i feel like you are the type of person that can like look up at a bottle a bottle look at <laughs> uh, look at a book and like be able to exactly tell like what it is right you know so i'm looking at this thing and going and i was like oh this is gonna be a fiction story <laughs> like let me just relax next i'm hit with dates i'm hit with timelines <laughs> i'm like oh my i'm in class right now like that's kind of which you i remember you saying this earlier <laughs> on one of the podcasts you were like I don't like to read to learn. Okay. I'm reading, I'm reading for fun and I'm reading to escape my life. Okay. (laughs) Y'all, I was really working hard to get through this book. (laughs) And we appreciate, we're glad that you did. (laughs) We did. We're glad that you did. So Lauren Fleshman is like we said, one of the most decorated American distance runners of all time. Mm. So she's the winner of five NCAA championships at Stanford. 
15-time All-American. That's crazy. And two national championships as a professional. So crazy. But what you will not see on there is any Olympic medals. She did not make the big league. She did not. Lauren. I thought you were good for a girl. Literally against the concept of the whole book. (laughs) She's like, you don't have to win. You don't. Mars, like, you're nothing if you did not make the Olympics. Unfortunately, all those medals before this do not uh, apply. So They say nothing about your character, your your perseverance, your dedication. Nope, nothing. I'm just kidding. No, so this, what is a huge part in that, though, is she was such an amazing runner. Mm. She retired um, in the last couple of years, like, actually, very recently. Um and so she's never made it to the Olympics. And yeah. that is actually a huge part of this memoir of her sharing her story of um, why that was and yeah. what, what her life was like during all of that. It's mm. really, really fascinating. So I guess we're going to jump around a little bit in this because it is so nuanced. There's a lot of categories. And um, this is kind of also like a female manifesto Mm. in a way of her trying to bring awareness and uh equality to some of the ways that women in female or women in athletics are treated as compared to men i think she does a good job of not comparing them to men like she doesn't put men down to say this is what's happening to women Mm -hmm. but she does do i think a really great job of drawing some comparisons to how when things are uh, brought to light in the male space in athletics, how they're handled. Yeah. And then when things are brought to light in female space mm-hmm. in athletics, how they, those are handled. Yeah. So I think this book also is kind of her way to, um, on a larger scale, I guess, than she's had before on a larger platform to kind of get the attention of lots of like news outlets. Cause I've actually, when I've been looking at this book for, and looking at other um, dates on here for research, I was like, she has gotten a lot of press for this book. Oh, really? Like very recently. Yeah. Because it's a new release. And so she got on Good Morning America. Oh, I did not know. She had some type of interview. Ooh. I did see that. Okay. All right. So she, yeah, so she's been, I think this was her outlet to kind of also say, look, this is what I've went through. This is what a lot of women went through. And I really think that you need to do something about it. Yeah. And so I think this is also a kind of a really interesting look at um, women's athletics and how that can be done differently. So it's really good, but it starts off with her childhood Mm. um, and it's her childhood in California. That's where she was raised. And so she has a mom and a dad and the dad is a huge aspect of this book. He is really, it's really difficult to read about, honestly, because he was so supportive of her, Mm. so encouraging of her passions, desires. He would always say like, we're a fleshman. We don't stop. Like he would just kind of drive this uh, energy into her that she can be whatever she wants to be. And then he also was abusive and alcoholic Mm. and did not treat his wife well. Yeah, it was definitely like who he you could tell that who he was as an alcoholic was not who he was when he wasn't an alcoholic. And I think that was the hard thing to see was that she loved him so much because he was a good father to her in so many moments. But then he also scared her so much Mm -hmm. to the point where like if she was if he was drunk, right, she used to like count the cans you know, like how many he was drinking to make sure that like how she should react. There was like one, only one time that he was ever like physically abusive with her. Right. And he like, how I read it, he basically like picks her up and throws her across the room. Yes. And I was like, holy crap. And the props to this woman who is married to this man, right? She's the, like the first time and only time she ever saw her mom do this. She gets up. She's like, if you ever touch the girls like that again she's like i'm taking them with you and i'm taking them with me and you will never see them again yep and so it just gives gives you the slight that this man like but then he comes home from work and he like he's so loving Mm -hmm. and he supports her and he's like you can do anything you can beat these men you can't because he always wanted boys yep but ended up with two girls instead yep and so he still treated them like boys though and so it's just but i think I couldn't imagine having a dad that one day is like super kind and loving Mm -hmm. and the next is like abusive. It's like, I'd rather you just pick one or the other. Yeah. And I think that 
she kind of opens up with that part of her life because I think it really sets a precedent for how she views um, sports and competition and achieving as mm-hmm. she gets older because her dad was always, he would always use like the term or the phrases like very just like cringy guy phrases yeah. like uh, one of them was um, having the balls. That's like a yeah, phrase that guys like- it's so stupid they're like wow that really took some balls and so she basically said i could see that having the balls was the ultimate compliment and Mm. it was the ultimate compliment because it wasn't female yeah so she learned these things from her dad and there was also kind of this uh when she was talking about how her dad would root for her and want her to succeed and want her to achieve all these things she'd always say her last name is fleshman like we said and so she'd always say like her dad would say, you're a fleshman, like you've got this, all this mm. stuff. But then she would talk about how um, her mom was treated so differently by her dad. So there's a quote where she says, my mom's daily reality was frozen in the 1950s. Mm. In our home, dad got the best chair, the first serving and the last word. He told his daughters not to take any shiz from anyone and then turned around and treated my mom to a large helpings of his own. He represented a kind of power uh, hypothetically available to my sister Lindsay and me, but not to my mom. And so this was like a huge moment for her, too, because this took place right after Title IX. So her mom was growing up in... uh, her mom was growing up where Title IX had just been put into effect, or she was growing up in, excuse me, where Title IX had just been put into effect. And I did not know what Title IX was. Yeah, neither did I. I had heard about it, but I did not know what it was. So basically, I looked to it To be up. honest, <laughs> what, like, <laughs> like in the book, they like do the Roman numerals yeah. for nine. And I, like, tell me why I was sitting there forever looking at this number. And I was like, <laughs> what is this? Like, I like, I knew it was a Roman's numeral, yeah. but I just couldn't. My, my mind was like forgetting that an You're X like, is X-I, 10. I, I, X title. And I was like, I forget that like when one's in front of the X, you actually minus yes. one from 10. But I was like staring at this thing. I was like six. I was like 10. I was like, I could not wrap my head around so any funny. number but nine yes. was coming to my brain. <laughs> like, I don't know why. Title Roman. Basically, <laughs> it was bad. The only tattoo I have is of Roman numerals. And I tell you, you have a what, tattoo. Yes, this one, little baby one. Oh, I knew that. Yes, yeah. I have. I looked up so many times. I triple checked the date of what I was getting tattooed on. <gasps> right, I triple checked. No, no, no. Oh, <laughs> and literally go to the tattoo artist. She checks it. Right. So I leave there. I've got my tattoo, feeling great, everything. It was maybe about a year later. I can't remember who noticed this, but they were like, "What's your tattoo date?" And I told them it was like for the year of our wedding. Mm. And then I started looking at my tattoo. I'm like, that is not what this is. No, that is not what this date is. Sadie. I was like, I triple checked this date so many times. That is not what this date is. And anyway, I had put I put the 26th, which is our day of our wedding. And I was going around telling everyone I put the year. And so I had a absolute panic for a couple like, I can't even remember how long it took me to figure this out. It was like a couple hours or something where I was absolutely in panic that I put some <gasps> random arbitrary date on my body. No. <laughs> and so I literally was like, oh, I just had to my body. No, what did I do? I, I would have been mortified. Oh, I was literally, because I remember though, I was like triple, triple, triple yeah. checking this because I was like, I do not want to be that person that's like, mm-hmm. nothing. Anyway, yeah. so that was my experience with Roman numerals. So. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, title is not. <laughs> Title IX is a federal law that was passed in 1972 to ensure that male and female students and employees in educational settings are treated equally and fairly. So basically it protects against discrimination based on sex, so including sexual harassment. So all the federal agencies were required to enforce that mandate. So like giving grants of financial assistance to schools, colleges, um, and other like entities and programs and stuff like that. So before 1972... There was nothing in place that mm. you could ever point back to and mm. say, this is the standard now. Like, this yeah. isn't holding up to that. And so for Lauren, seeing her parents' dynamic and then also being raised where she started seeing more female athletes, it was yeah. kind of like a confusing thing for her because she's been told by her dad, especially, like, you can go do whatever you want to do. And she's seen, okay, 
she's seen that also start to be represented in the spaces around her mm. in athletics because yeah. Title IX happened, so they're trying to make it more equitable in um, a situation that more women can play in. Um, but then she's also seen her dynamic play out at home where she's like, but that's not... That's so I'm not seeing that. I love that it's... Uh, I mean, I don't love it. But <laughs> I, like, I, I love it. I love this. No, I love how... She- so I, I like I like how she said um her mom was stuck in the 1950s mm-hmm. correct because it's so interesting because I still see that kind of today yeah. where it's like when something new comes out I think even in another memoir where um well my mother and I don't talk about where one of if you have the guys listen to that there's a kid who grows up with like a blonde, a deaf mom mm-hmm. and like the world keeps going, but she's like kind of stuck because she feels comfortable there as well. So number one, I wonder if her mom was comfortable with staying this way. Cause it's all she's ever known. And if it would have been weird for her to like not have the freedom to do this and then automatically just go do it when she does have the freedom, if it would still feel wrong to her. And then on top of that, it's like, is that why her dad is keeping her there? Because that's all he's ever known. Mm-hmm. But I see today's an age. It's like they're excited that other people get to do this, but they're still staying like the same. They don't want to go into the new age. Right. But they're happy that there is a new age. So their kids can like be a part of it, but they stay like the same. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder. I, I don't know. If her, they never really shared if her mom truly cared. Mm-hmm. Well, because it does. Yeah, you're right. It didn't really talk about her mom's perspective from that. It just talked about how. There was like a little um, story where Lauren remembered her mom challenging to her to race or something like that, yeah. like just for fun. And she all of a sudden saw her mom in a different light, in a different light because her mom all of a sudden like her stance mm. got different and she was good. She was yeah. athletic, but she'd never seen her mom like that. And it was because she'd never been able or been in the situation where she could mm. be seen differently, I guess. So, yeah, I think you're right of like we never got to hear her mom's perspective of if she had an issue with that, if she was silently, you know, struggling with that and wasn't saying anything. I mean, her husband was an alcoholic and was abusive. And so I'm sure there was a whole level of oppression and Mm. just a not a a willingness or a desire not to shake the boat for her kids. I'm sure just wanting to help her kids get through and accomplish things through high school and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so that is kind of how the book opens up. Um, And uh, I thought it was interesting, too, because it said, in 1971, the year before Title IX was passed, fewer than 300,000 girls played high school sports Mm. compared to the 3.6 million boys. Wow. Which is crazy. So just before Title IX passed, there was just a huge discrepancy in, like, women and girls being in high school sports and men Mm -hmm. and so it's just interesting to see how kind of that was changing but yeah so her whole drive that kicked off her high school career and just her desire for running was to be as good as the boys because that's where her dad encouraged that's what she all you know what i'm saying yeah so crazy have you have you have you seen like these reels going on on instagram i'm not a tiktoker sorry guys but like these reels going around on Instagram. Yeah, so I'm not a tickery talker person. <laughs> but Is that I think it's called these days tickery talker. Yeah, tickery talker. I'm not one of those. So, but on reels, they have like this funny reel going around where it's like, um, you have the perspective of like someone who didn't have rights, a woman who didn't have rights, and then us today, and they're like, "What are you doing?" And you're like. Um, I'm getting ready for work. And they're like, you can go to work. And then they like look at them so angrily like, yes, I can go to work. <laughs> because it's like so irritating <laughs> that they're like, you did this to me. Like, I get it. Yes. I get it. Like, if we were back then, yes, we would want these rights, right? We want the opportunity. We work. We want the. But I was like, I wanted the opportunity. <laughs> it didn't mean I wanted to go to work. It didn't mean I like now we're in. It's like so interesting that now you're in the place of America was like where you have to work, though. Mm. Like they've made it. It's like, no, now they expect everyone to be a two income household. But it's just so interesting, like thinking about this, where it's like back then, it's like they wanted like the opportunity, which I completely understand. But here I am uh, a fat middle schooler in high school and being like, you're the reason I have to run. <laughs> a mile in my PE class is because you wanted this? You wanted this? I didn't want this. 
I'm like, this is blowing my mind. Mark says, Title Nine sucks. Title Nine <laughs> sucks, bro. You know what's so crazy? How many times I look at Hunter and I was like, I, we had it so good back then and we didn't even know it. I mean, not me because, you know, I'm colored. But other people had it so good back then because they got to stay home. All they had to do was cook and take care of babies. Y'all, I would give up everything for that right now. <laughs> But I am grateful for the opportunity. (laughs) I'm grateful. But I wish it just ended up a little bit different. Just a little different. Because, you know, I wanted equality, but not this much. Like, I'm... (laughs) I am... I'm I'm actually crying over here. I'm literally wheezing. Like... You know what? I feel like you had that locked and loaded. You need to get that off your chest. I had to get that off my chest. Before you go home to your babies and your... Yeah. Y'all. She said yes, I did. I did. Well, anyways. Anyways. <laughs> you know what? This book is a female, you know, perspective book. So I guess, you know, that was our female rant. Yeah. A little bit. That was equality. Well, I was just saying, because like now she's like, so many girls weren't doing it then. Right. And it's like, well, now it's like, I'd be surprised if there were women, like in schools, not like making them do that. Yep. You know? Yeah. Well, and I think, too, it's even, like, the ability to have something legally in place that you are required to also pour in finances into women's uh, athletes in high school or female athletes in high school. You're required to provide opportunity. Like, you, I think before this, there was no standard. And Mm. so there was nothing for them to point back to and say, no, this is not right. You can't. You, you have to provide something for the women if they want to race too. You have to provide something for the girls that also want to compete. Like, yeah. And there was nothing for them legally. There was no ground to stand on yeah. for them to have any case to say, no, you're giving all the funds here. You yeah. need to provide a sports opportunity for women. And there was a, another stat in here where she said, um, today women make up 40% of athletes in the United States, but receive only 4% of the sports coverage. Wow. About the same as it was 30 years ago. Wow. So even though we've changed, you know, so much, right, in mm. in our um, in our showing and um, display of like women athletes, yeah. like female athletes and women's athletics, it's hasn't changed that much. Yeah, which is really crazy. And she said it's also less than one percent of endorse of endorsement investment in professional sports go to women. Wow. Less than one percent. And I guess this also brought up for me. I'd kill me, to have that 1% in my bank account. <laughs> I would kill to have that 1% in my bank account, bro. You know what? Same. Okay. Because I know, I know it's like 1%. It's like, it's still crazy. But think about, so think about you have a budget, right? Yeah. And you say 99% of my budget is going to go here and we'll yeah. put 1% here. Even though, what did she say? Thir- 40%. 40%. Makeup of the women. And it's actually crazy because like if you're in like high school, right? I remember I was a band geek. So I just remember where you'd be like, oh, I'm so sad that like the marching band doesn't get as much money as like the football, right? It's like, but the football was bringing in more money. So Mm. it kind of made more sense. But here you have the women who are making up the majority of your sports and you're still giving it to like basically the lesser. Like 40%. But yeah. yeah, But you know. Yep. No, it's still a big chunk. You're still giving them so little compared to what they're bringing to the table. Yep. And do you know what this brought up, though? The idea <laughs> I heard this the other day, and it was really interesting because there was actually the NCAA uh, championships for basketball that just happens oh, for yeah. women's basketball. And the coverage on that was insane. It was for some reason out of nowhere, the coverage on women's basketball for the NCAA championship was disproportionate as compared to years past. Mm-hmm. And this was literally just this was last month oh. or two weeks ago. Oh, wow. Okay. And it was everywhere. And it was so funny because I was listening to, I think it was a comedian or someone that was saying, you know, you want, you want women's uh, sports to be shown on TV and all these spaces, the same as coverage as it is for men. He's like, but women aren't even watching all that. Mm. Women are watching all these like shows and reality TV <laughs> where they are tearing each other apart. He's like, that's where women's athletes <laughs> He's like, women's sports, women's sports are in the reality show where you're watching these women just 
go at each other. Like, Not wrong. Which I thought was very interesting as I was like, I wonder because we do obviously want the same amount of, um, I guess even respect and admiration mm. that when you see an athlete, when you see a male athlete or any athlete, but in this case, we'll talk about male athletes. When you see them at the peak of their career, whether that's high school, college, Olympics, whatever that is, it's so just impressive. Like the human feat to be able to compete at that level is so impressive. And so yeah. I guess when we're looking for the same equality, I guess we're actually we're kind of asking for yes, the same amount of coverage and all these things, but we want to show that same mm. um passion, skill, all of those things in women. The mm. same because you can you watch it and it's impressive. Yeah. It's so incredible. Every time I mean, I remember watching the Olympics growing up. Yeah. You are just so inspired. You're like, I am going to go losing. <laughs> Literally every time I would watch like the Olympics for ice skating, I would like put my slippers on because we had like n- linoleum out there and I would like skate around. I was like, I will be an Olympic athlete. Yes. yes. And then I would never do it again. Yes. Like, I'm like, <laughs> but for that moment, I was an Olympian. Oh, all my siblings, we would go so hard with finding ways to like remake all the sports that we were watching. Oh. Like it was so funny. But so it's like, I guess... Yes, there is this question of, okay, are women wanting, like you and I, would we want to sit down and watch a women's basketball game or would we want to sit down and talk about Love Island? Um, (laughs) So sometimes I want to watch basketball. Sometimes I want to watch Love Island. But that's what I'm trying to say is there's we're looking at like, I guess, the supply and demand situation, but then also going, okay, no, we want the same just equality in how the athletes are shown as they're both capable. They're both mm. diligent. They're both passionate. They're both impressive. They're both. So I think it's even that. Do you question. feel like we're not doing that though? Well, I'm just looking at these stats. I think what it showed me is I was like, I couldn't name you. Yeah. Several of the most famous like female athletes right now. I couldn't name some. Is it because like they don't say it or is it just because we're not interested? No, that's exactly that's the saying. question. That's I what gotcha. I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's a really interesting thing because while this book I think brings up so many, I think my favorite part about this book and we'll get into it is um, her just kind of discussion and breakdown of uh, women's physiology and like mm-hmm. how coaches are just pretty, they're unknowing about it. They don't yeah. have much information about it and they're, they kind of don't take any of the responsibility to become informed. Exactly. Um, but because this book is so uh, wanting to bring awareness and change things, it did make me think of, well, okay, but are these sports being shown mm. the same amount as men's mm-hmm. and women are just watching it? What mm. is, I, I just don't know. Yeah. So it's an interesting question. But yeah, so I guess one of the questions I wanted to ask was, what did you learn from hearing this person's story? Like, what's something you learned? What did I learn? Listen, <laughs> a lot of numbers. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think it's like, honestly, I liked getting to see the insight of what it is like to be a woman athlete in today's world. Because on, I never thought of this stuff. Number one, like, I work out, but I'm not an athlete. Like I love to play soccer, but I'm not not compared to these women right. and men. Like that's just not who I am. Same. It's not my world, and so it's not something that I would have even known about. And so it's really cool to be aware about something that is going on, um, in a different pers- perspective because you would only know if it, you were in it, honestly. Or I guess at this point, I just looked at the numbers. Right. But being in it is completely different than hearing the statistics. And so I. What was the question? Oh, <laughs> what did you learn? What did I learn? Yes, sorry. From hearing this, from yes. hearing Lauren's story. I think, I just, I don't know if I, and I don't want to get like bashed for saying this, but I don't know <laughs> if like I agree. Okay, yeah. Because, yes, they want, we want equality, right, in sports. Because mm-hmm. the whole point of this is the fact that like it's, it's, she thinks it's not fair to rate women and men on the same like scale. Right. Because what happens to women is different to men. Their hormones are different. We perform differently. So therefore you should rate us differently that I completely understand. But at the same time, when I see these women, right, we are empowered by it because we're like, look how strong they are. Look how some of them are keeping up with the men. So we are able to do this, but I think what we need to learn is how to do it in a healthy way. Mm. Because in this book, it made it, 
kind of they she talked about all the things that happen that are unhealthy, which I'm so glad that like we talked about that because that needs awareness. But I think sometimes the simple answer isn't necessarily changing the rules. It's more of like figuring out how we can do this in a healthy way. Yep. Because I do believe that women's bodies and a human body can be pushed to the limit. I don't, I understand that we won't ever be like as fast or as strong as a man, but you see them out there running on the court. You see them lifting, you see them in gymnastics being strong, like just as like a man. And so I think more what I disagreed was like saying, I don't know. I think, I think she was trying to say that like, we can't be like men. And, but it's like, I understand. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? No, I, and I think something that she, leaves you with and we can read about it too but i think something that she leaves the reader with is kind of her ideas for what that change would look like Mm -hmm. and i think actually i would argue that a lot of this book i agree with what you're saying is she um she does showcase like how all the ways that being a woman in athletes can or athletics can hurt you yeah and how that is the biggest difference yeah um between what women experience in sports and what men experience in sports because of the ways that their bodies are made or built differently and i think that's actually what she's kind of bringing the most awareness to is the ways that women women go through the peak level of change Mm. in the time period in the same time period that men are at the peak level of their performance. Yeah. And so one of the things she kind of talks about is how men are uh, this whole sports system, right? Before Title IX, it was all designed around boys being in sports, men yep. being in sports. And so the men's peak level performance for their hormones, for their body, for everything is literally, what, 18 to 22? It's a yeah. college age. So right high school, they're gaining muscle, they're gaining momentum, they go through puberty. And then they hit college. They hit those uh, opportunities for becoming a professional athlete, for all Mm. these things. They hit it at the peak of their physical uh, stature and performance and body. Well, she kind of makes a very convincing case that women, their bodies are going at the peak level of performance getting ready for childbearing yeah. at those years. Mm-hmm. So she talks about how she, a huge portion of this book that she brings awareness to is um, women's cycle and puberty and their menstrual period and all these different things of how women go through that in high school or a little yeah. younger. And that has a huge reaction on their body, right? Mm-hmm. And then their body changes through puberty. And so then they hit those high school. A lot of high schoolers will hit all these stats, right? They'll get all these records. They'll get all these PRs. And But what they start doing is they start um, gaining a lot of body image yeah. dis- disorders, eating disorders. Um, they start losing their period. And they all these things start happening to kind of hold off them, their body changing and maturing. Mm -hmm. And so this is something that she talks about a lot is like we haven't, women will experience a plateau or women will experience like a dip in their um, careers at that age and that level because their bodies are literally trying to hold on to fat reserves. Their body are trying to change. Like their body is changing to hopefully you know create room for a child if that was the yeah you know what if that wasn't necessary if that was kind of what was gonna happen that's what their body process is going through mm-hmm. and so she talks about like well that needs to be addressed and acknowledged because yeah. um she talks about how uh 87 of female distance runners don't talk to their coaches about periods mm. coaches 80 percent of whom are male report feeling ill-equipped for these discussions which makes sense since there's no required education Mm. on female physiology puberty or the menstrual cycle for coaches of female athletes which i think is absolutely bonkers because like if you to me like a coach a professional coach right if you're in high school not sure if you need to have those discussions but like if your job is you're training professional athletes right these people are basically putting their health in your hands being a coach is like getting them conditioned making sure that they're healthy enough to do this sport it's the same thing to me as like going to a therapist but them not knowing what they're talking about it's like how do you do your job if you haven't studied what you're supposed to be like creating 
It's like, how am I supposed to keep you healthy if I don't even know about your body? Like it, it, because this is the part where I do agree with, right? They're basing it all off of a man's body. And it's like, but it, so that part, it confuses me. But at the same time, it confuses me on like how, like, I don't even See, know. See, men don't, and that's the thing that she's trying to say is men don't go through that. Men go through yeah. puberty and adolescence a little bit earlier. Yeah. Women then go through it, but then their body's continually changing. Yeah. So when is the right time though? Like that's the thing. If you were really wanting to make it fair, you would kind of have to be competing at a different age to be at your peak and then competing at their peak. I guess I'm, what I think she's trying to make the case for is the fact that it's they're both competing at the same stages, right? High school, college, uh, pro, mm. right? Those kind of three bigger stages. What I think what she's trying to make the case for is you can't look at the two and then not also have the discussion of puberty and menstrual cycles and like women's physiology because they're not having those discussions. They're yeah. not talking about it as if that is directly, they're not basically creating a program for women or for girls in high school, women in um, college and pro with that in mind. Yeah. As in, that's a very real issue that in not even issue. That's a re- very real aspect of their womanhood. They're being a person yeah. that will affect their sports. Cause she talks a lot about how, when you get these eating disorders, when you start losing your period, you're do a lot of women are doing these things to kind of hold off on the developments of their body, the changes of their body that will then yeah. slow them. They think is going to slow them down in their sports. And that's what I get. Okay. So that's the thing that I guess I wanted to talk about too, is the fact that, yeah, so you had these group of runners. I mean, a lot of women, right. They would stop eating because they believed, and it was true. Like it worked, but then they got too sick, right? The less you weigh, the faster you run. Which it's, it's true. That's what happened. But then your bones started breaking down. You started getting brittle. You were getting sick. But the, the, I guess the problem for me is like, I guess I just need to forget about the men's side because mm-hmm. right now we don't even like, we, it's not men against women in sports. Right. They're their own category. Exactly. But it's like how, for women though, because for a while there, she was still the top athlete in her like running team. And, but she, but she was eating mm-hmm. and she was being healthy. Exactly. And so my question is, when did that go away? Because I didn't see, at least in her coach, her personal coach, her coach was not telling her to not eat. Her coach was not doing that. Her coach is like, you need to be healthy, right? You do have like, I guess, a race number, like, like just like wrestling, like you have a certain stat, I guess. But he's still saying like, you do need to eat because if you get sick, like the other girls are, you will never even see like being an Olympian because you're going to get sick. Right. And so it's like where, I guess my question is like, is the problem really what they're teaching them and what they're not saying? Or is the problem like our insecurities of feeling like we have to do this in order to get better? Yeah. So I think you actually bring up a great question. And that was the whole reason she chose to run at Stanford. So mm. what Mars talking about is there was a coach, um, Beth Alford Sullivan, who was a coach at Stanford at the time. And it was a big deal um, that there was a women coach, obviously, because only 17% of women's running teams mm are actually led by women. Crazy. Shocking. Another thing. And again, and and I want to be clear that it's not, we're not saying, because I think about the reason for that 17%, right? It doesn't mm. mean that, oh, there's not enough women that want to be coaches. It's mm. like, okay, think about the, think about the women that are like, well, I don't want to be a coach. Yeah. I don't want to be a women's running mm. at, like coach. That's fine. But I think what this is talking about is how, why is there that number? And we learn about a little bit more when, she gets signed at Nike and how kind of the coaching and the the, um, contracts are set in a way that it makes it very, very difficult for women who also want to become parents to hold coaching jobs. And so kind of we learn about that, but you make a great point because she picked to run at Stanford um, post high school because the, of the reason that they had established healthy eating habits and ideas around holistic bodily health. Mm-hmm. So, which was rare. Cause one of the things that she did start realizing when she was traveling, trying to figure out, okay, where am I going to go to college? Where am I going to sign? Was there was a lot, she would go and um, run, a, you know, she'd go and meet these colleges. She'd run a few laps with the girls and then she would go and kind of hang out with them for the day. And she would see their eating habits. She mm-hmm. would see, and, and this wasn't like a overt thing she was doing. It was just like when they would go to the 
um, cafeteria and stuff. And she would get her burger. She would get her salad, food, whatever. She would notice women had nothing on their plate. Yeah. And it was like you could tell she started realizing, oh, there's different cultures around yeah. food at these different teams. So she did pick Stanford because she did see, OK, it's a women, uh, a female coach mm-hmm. and it's. Uh, there's a healthy culture around eating for the team. Yeah. So she picked it because of the health. Um, and so, yeah, I think what changed for her is she started running um, with Stanford. She started running as one of the teams. And she basically started to see other runners, mm-hmm. not at Stanford, when they would go to races and competitions. Yeah. She started seeing women that were really fit. Yeah. And she talks about in this book how fit mm-hmm. is like a code word for basically they're they look great, they're yeah. shredded. Mm-hmm. Yep. But everyone kind of secretly knows they're not healthy. Yeah, they're not healthy. That they're kind of not vegan. And so she basically has her own experience with um letting that mindset affect her professional career. And so basically, um she Finishes at Stanford, right? So she goes to Stanford and that's where she makes so many of her big uh, races and yeah. records. So she finished fifth in the entire NCAA double, divi- or NCAA division as a freshman. Crazy. And then when she left college, she was a five-time NCAA championship and then a 15-time All-American. That is crazy. Yes. And also, I didn't know what All-American meant, to be honest with you. So I looked that up and it said... All-American is an honorific title given to an outstanding U.S. athlete in a specific sport in a given year competing at the collegiate and secondary school levels. Mm. So it's like basically just another title to be like, yes, yeah, she's the best. Yeah. <laughs> so she finished college at that level. Um, and so I think what was really interesting, too, I learned that um, it talks about how there's just like there's no mention. There's no policies as of this year, in 2022, the NCAA has no policies around eating disorders. And so what's yeah. really interesting is she's talking about, because that's what she experienced when she was at college. That was a huge thing that kind of brought this awareness. Mm-hmm. Like you're talking about of, well, some people were encouraging her to eat healthy. Yeah. Some coaches were telling her to eat food. And some, you could tell, were not. They, yeah. She talks about all these memories of like track meets where people, like she could hear them getting reamed like yelled yeah. at and being like because you ate too much or you're not your race weight or whatever yeah. and so basically she talks about as of this year current or i guess 2022 was last year but there's no policies and she's talks about how that's 35 percent of female collegiate athletes are at risk for anorexia 58 percent for bulimia and she talks about how these disorders are destroy the major organs, mm-hmm. body system, deplete bones, kind of like you talked about earlier. Yeah. And so she's like, basically, this is a massive issue yeah. that she was learning about from her time at Stanford in college. She said, compare this to the fact that when the NCAA, when confronted with the concussion research, mm-hmm. right? So when yeah. we started realizing about all this stuff in men's football, all these concussions, they, they started creating checklists and policies that all these programs had to yeah. adhere to. They put stuff into effect. Mm-hmm. And so she was just talking about how, okay, the concussions are like the primary, were the primary issue yeah. in football and men's sports, like one of the biggest issues. And they went and did and created policies for it. They created checklists. They started, this is, no, this is a, what we're going to do about it. And so she's kind of trying to say, look, there is a massive problem yeah. the same, to the same degree in women's athletics. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? It's also interesting, though, because it's like I was just now thinking that like I understand like, yeah, they have like so many things that are unhealthy going on there and nobody seems to care to put rules in place to keep it from happening. But then also this makes me wonder, it's like even though like men have different hormones, they don't have periods. Right. She can't speak on half of them on behalf of them since she hasn't been there. Like, I am sure that there are also really unhealthy, like, habits in the men's program as well. Yeah. Like, the steroids that people take or even, like, even for runners. Like, if a woman thought, if I weigh less, I'll run faster, I'm sure a man thought of it too. Oh, I mean, but the the only thing I would say to that is men do take steroids, right? Yeah. And it makes them better. Yeah, and, uh, but they're not supposed to. No, take exactly. Them, and so, so there are like these rules and things put in place to 
hopefully catch people that are cheating the system. Yeah. But what she's trying to say is that when women are trying to find ways to, quote unquote, cheat the system, mm-hmm. right? And like, by like losing weight. By losing weight and all these things. It's hurting them and destroying their bodies. And so she's trying to say, as people that are coaches and responsible people that are helping create systems in places where women can run, Mm -hmm. like we need to help monitor and guide and put things in place where we can kind of catch these things. Like we basically don't get to the point where we're creating these unhealthy ideas and i guess yeah it's like a very interesting thing because it's like to each their own right every person is responsible for their own um decisions and their own outcomes in a sense but she's trying to say if coaches aren't even aware of these if coaches aren't knowledgeable Mm. you know if the teams aren't if they don't have anything if they don't basically are turning a blind eye and saying as long as you're fast as long as your record is high we don't care then they're ultimately damaging people and they're ultimately. So she's, I think she's just trying to say like, there is a certain level of responsibility. If we are coaching, if we're in charge of them and then these things happen under our care. Yeah. If that makes sense, you know, we could do better. And so I guess I'm just, I know she later will tell us like a, like a solution, but even like just reading throughout this, when I was thinking like on the men's side too, just because like, yeah, sometimes I just get like a little, not weary, like I feel like in today's age, like we've talked about before too, that a lot of women are like, it's happening to us, but it's not happening to them. And sometimes it's not fair to say because you really don't know. Because like I've I've met a few people who, like men who were anorexic or did things because like they were being taught that. And so it's like we don't know if the men are being taught that or well, not. Well, she and she says that ten percent of male athletes, yeah, um, as a as compared to the thirty five, but ten percent are risk for anorexia, thirty five for bulimia. Yeah. So the exactly you're you're right. She does point out still too, like this is still a problem. Yeah. In even it's men's just like a general act. problem mm-hmm. that's like happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sad. Yeah. No, I like I think what I do appreciate about this book, and I like your perspective as well, Mar, is you're saying like think about you have to think about it from both sides. Yeah. But I think what she's kind of frustrated by is it feels like people are taking into account what men go through. Yeah. And, and, and her example was obviously the concussions research mm-hmm. but i think she's trying to say no but people need to seriously look at what's happening in women's yeah. sports too because you hear all all about these male athletes and she talks a lot about women that fizzle out like mm-hmm. you'll have these star runners and these yeah. amazing people that just show up all of a sudden they're gone and nobody even thinks like twice about it and no one knows why and you start learning it's because their bodies are broken yeah like there was that one story about the girl um one of her friends at college and she was just what walking and all of a sudden yeah. she collapsed yeah. And her bone, they did a scan, it had shattered into n- so many little pieces. Yeah. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. And she didn't know. She thought her, she was like one of the top athletes. She was super fit. She would look super healthy and all this stuff. And inside she hadn't had her period in like what years. Yeah. And she was like crazy where she this was like. We, we need to redefine what it means to be healthy. Yep. What to, and I honestly think America doesn't know what it means to be healthy because sure. there's so many different ways. But it cannot be. I look at you. I see that you look this way. You must be healthy because that's not true. Because like I used to be anorexic as well in high school, and so it's like whether you're an athlete or not, it could get you. Right. But, you know, it's like. But people looked at me and thought I was healthy because I looked a certain way. It's like it's like no, and that's why I completely understand and believe that like, if you are coaching someone, you need to know about the body. Right. You need to know what's going on. Like with the sex that you are coaching. Yep. Cause you can't tell just by looking at them. Yep. And yeah. so then it's sad. Cause it's like, are they really caring about them? Or are they caring more about the money that they can get 100%. when they win? Well, and that brings us to um, her time at Nike. And so basically she finishes college at Stanford. She's top, top athlete. And yeah. so everybody's kind of come sign her. So then she talks about how she signed with Nike after lots of discussions. She, she signed with Nike for 60K a year. Um, but to maintain that salary, she needed to make U.S. teams, achieve high national awards and world rankings. And it talks about how if she went too long between competitions, her yeah. salary would be reduced by 50%. AKA if she got pregnant. Yeah. And so that's something she does talk about too at Nike was like, there was no outright rules or anything stipulated about pregnancy or about childbirth. Yeah. But it would penalize you if you would even have to take off any significant amount of time. Yeah. So there was no way for you to be a parent and an athlete. Yeah. 
which I didn't really think about. Yeah, and it's crazy because you look at athletes today and you see them having a kid, right? Sometimes you still see them playing their sport while they're pregnant. They give birth two weeks, they're back at it. Right. And it's like never knowing why, though. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. It's because like, well, because they need money. It's because they'll get literally penalized if they don't. Yeah. And their salary will drop. That's crazy. But then it's like, how do you expect there to be more athletes in these worlds if you ain't going to let like them be born? Exactly. Like, what? It's crazy. Well, and it made me think, too, about I had never really given that any serious kind of thought. Kind of like you were talking about one of the things that this book was interesting for me was like, I didn't know anything mm. about this. I didn't know anything about the sport, anything like that. But, yeah, I think it was interesting, too. I think about like a lot of the male athletes that um, they have kids, right? Mm. And they have kids like rooting them on the stands. And they have little kids yeah. running up to them after the games and all this stuff. And I was just like, man, I wonder yeah, what it would look like for... They don't have to take time away. No. And so how, if you are incredibly talented, driven, passionate person that has this skill mm-hmm. and you're a woman, but you all, like, what if, you, if, what if you and your partner, you and your husband wanted to have a kid, right? Yeah. You wanted to create a family and you also wanted to have and be an athlete. Yeah. It's like, you should be able to get pregnant, have your child and keep going with your life afterwards yeah. like and I'm, I'm not trying to be ignorant to the fact that obviously your life changes after mm-hmm. you have a child yeah. but I'm saying like what if it was the husband who was like no I want to start a family and yeah. she was the athlete yeah well she's the one who has the talent and the god-given mm-hmm. abilities and passion and, and ability in her body to be that kind of athlete at that professional level yeah. so what if it was even her husband's like no i want to start a family now yeah. and she's like okay but then they can't and she has to stop being an athlete like yeah just crazy and it's like that i, I that also i think ties in when she's like running in a man's world because yeah so they might have put that they both contracts male and f- female right might have in there that like you can't take time away and so they thought they could have thought that they're just being fair but this is what she's talking about it's like well you're not actually thinking about a woman though and how it's fair to a woman because the man like like you said he he would just read that and be like okay i just won't take any time off but it's actually really unrealistic even that we have women coming back so early because you're supposed to take six weeks off minimum yeah minimum minimum but then if you got tears if you got things going on down there if you got c-sections and you know things that can happen during childbirth then you got to take more time off and then it's just like but then you lose all these things because you were doing something that was natural that you can't just control to bond with your baby, even if it's like, yeah, you wanted to take three months off exactly to be home with your baby to make sure that they know your fair ones. I know it's like they should be able to go back to work. So I just thought it was interesting. To, yeah. And you know what I got to say about that? I, maternity <laughs> leave for everyone, whether you're part time or full time, because I'm a part time woman and I didn't get no maternity leave. <laughs> Mars, like, I would love that. OK, let's maternity leave for everybody. Yes. Well, and so essentially we we're going to wrap it up here, but basically (laughs) she never makes the Olympic trials. And a huge part of that is because there was a moment where she was training for it's called the Peyton Jordan Invitational Race Mm -hmm. at Stanford. It was this race where it was just going to see kind of right before the Olympic trials to kind of get a get a feel for who the top competitors were going to be. So she just needed to finish top three and she basically dropped all this weight and missed it by one second. Mm. So she even it talks about how she kind of succumbed to her own her own pressure of weight and body because she talks about how there was just like this cheap encouragement from people being like, wow, you look so good. Wow, you look so fit. All these things. And inside she knows she's not eating the same. Mm -hmm. She knows she's not eating as healthy. She knows she's kind of watching all that. And so she basically gets a stress fracture, misses her period for three months. And so she has to like start cross training a pool, all this stuff. She has to watch uh, at the Olympic trials. She yep. cannot compete. And it's because of her own, like this issue that she has been talking about. She has been made aware of. Mm. She still succumbs to it. Yeah. And in just right before the biggest moment of her career. Yep. This is her fresh out of college. This is her getting signed by Nike. This is her going mm-hmm. to compete. So close. So close. So then it talks about how... That happens multiple times. So then she goes to try and compete for the next uh, Olympic trials. Same thing happens. Not her losing weight. She actually starts to develop a much better um, sense of just comfortability in her own body. And I guess pride for the sport that she's doing and Mm -hmm. just acceptance and excitement about what she can do um, versus 
her being able to achieve but she never makes it and it talks yeah. about i think there's two other times that she yeah. went, goes to try she just keeps re-injuring yeah because of that yeah and so i guess right. i was always wondering if is she like in a way like trying to say the reason this didn't work out for her is because of everything that like she went through and because of the messed up system or is it like ma'am is it just your fault Right. Well, and I think that's such a great thing. It's such a good question mark because it's like, yeah, is it you are suffering? Because she talks about how there are no um, shortcuts without consequences. Yeah. That's like a quote in the book. And it's like, well, yeah. And she was learning about this. There was even moments where she thought she could not wrap her head around why other people were not eating. She's like, it's dumb to me. She didn't understand it. And here she is not learning from it. And so it's like, yes, unfortunately we're impressionable and unfortunately like you're around something enough you're gonna end up just like that but at the same time you have got to be strong enough if you're gonna put yourself in this world and you notice that it's unfair you got to do everything you can to make sure that you are keeping yourself healthy and that's where the moment where i was feeling a little disagreement with this i was like i get that it's unfair i get that it should be changed i agree with that but you know that and so since you're in it You got to do everything you can to keep yourself above. That's not on anybody else. And if you can't handle it, then maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Because unfortunately, you don't have the power to change those laws and change those rules. And so it's like, and since you don't, yes, come out with this book and make awareness for it. I love that. But you can't blame anybody that this happened to you because you knew about it. And I just don't think, yes, you know what I'm saying? You're impressionable. But at the end of the day, you got to take care of yourself. Yep. And I think that's what kind of the last two olympic trials was about for her where she starts to she because she talks about how she starts a blog and she starts this Mm. um like bar company and she kind of starts realizing like the influence and impact she can have in women's sports if she kind of speaks up more about it Mm -hmm. um and so i think the last two trials were her kind of struggling to accept this idea that you know she might not come back from that self-inflicted injury honestly it was self-inflicted like because she didn't eat and she knew what she was doing. And then all of a sudden, look what happened. And yeah. so I think, but it, then it's her starting to understand her love for the sport itself. And then her also just acceptance for uh, what her body can do. Yep. And mm-hmm. so I think she kind of, it is her like working through that yeah. towards the end of the book. But I agree. I think it's like, yeah, you can't, you can't be all mm-hmm. chat and all rah-rah about what the change we need to make if you're not willing to make kind of change. acknowledge yeah. That you played a role. Like you were, not played yeah. a role, you were the reason yeah. that ha- happened. Not mm-hmm. even yourself, but just kind of, I think that acknowledgement that she succumbed to her own yeah. um, issues. She yeah. succumbed to the very thing that she was kind of running from. But yeah, so the final thoughts of this book, I guess, there's so much in here so too. Much, yeah. Like if this interests you at all, um, I would definitely suggest go read it because it was, it was really fascinating. But her kind of final thoughts as she talks about the policies that um, she thinks that need to be changed or that she's suggesting. So she just kind of talks about things that she says we could create formal certifications to work with female athletes that mm. mandates education on female physiology, puberty, breast development, menstruational yeah. health, and the female performance wave. I think it's just common sense. Yeah. If seriously. you're going to work with women, you, you, gotta, you better know that. about women. You better know about that. I think that's a good idea. And then also um, we need coach job descriptions to be compatible with having children so fewer women leave coaching and so coaches of all genders have the ability to be active parents and partners so she just kind of leaves you with um just some i feel like very practical things um i feel like we could talk about this book for so long honestly so long because there's so much more in here um but i guess we'll just wrap up with what were your like would you recommend this book and Mm. what would you rate it yeah um I think I would, rec- I would recommend this book if to an athlete who wants to go into this as something as like, here's somebody who is real, who went through this, like learn from it, you know, try to do better and also know what you're getting yourself into. I don't know if I would recommend it to anybody else though. Okay. Unless like, cause like yeah. I don't see the point in reading if you're not interested in that certain subject or it's like, yes, there should be awareness for it, but it's like, I don't know if you don't care, you don't care, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. What would you rate it? I'm going to break this. Uh, <laughs> not your fave. <laughs> uh, I think I'll rate it. Uh, it's not your genre. Huh? It's not my genre. No. All right. I'll rate it a two and a half out of five. Yeah. Wow. Which I already know you're rating it a five. 
Yes, I'm definitely giving this book a five because I, again, I don't, I'm not a runner. If anyone knows me, they know that's the last thing I ever want to do. And I'm not an athlete. I don't, but I think that those are some of the reasons why I love this so much is I was, I really enjoyed learning about something so niche and specific, Mm. I guess. And it opened my eyes to just a whole other type of experience that people have in the world of like what it is like to be someone that their whole life is shaped by that passion and um, that career. So I really, I loved it. I also thought it was, I mean, a big thing for me is like how the book is written. Um, So I think that's like. That is one thing. If you are interested in a book, I think she did a great job at like balancing a storyline with what happened to her and then also facts and what's going on in today. It's like she did a great balance. Yep, 100%. I so I think it was super well written. I really liked a lot of her points and I think she did a good job of not disparaging men but also speaking about kind of just some things that I think maybe people wouldn't be aware of. And mm. I think, yeah, I enjoyed learning about it. So yeah. I liked it. I would recommend it. Good job, Lauren Fleshman. Good job, Miss Fleshman. We have a we have a solid book that we can say yes. is we didn't hate. Yes, we did not hate that. Not your fave, but... It's not my fave just because of the topic. Yeah. Other than that, I do think she's a great writer. Yeah. I feel like she came out with other books that were like maybe fiction. <laughs> that maybe, you know, I pick it up and read it. She says, write a book about a children's book for reading and I will read it. I will, a I will. children's <laughs> book, ma'am. No, no, I meant like for your daughter. She's like, you can only read children's book. I'm just kidding. Like, I'm just kidding. Like I could see her coming out with like a cute story. That would be like, cute. About a runner who actually makes it to yes. the Olympics. Ma'am, you do this podcast together with me. You are a reader. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. saying you're going to read children. All right. Well, that is it for this week. That was a lot, but we hope you enjoyed it. We definitely say there's so much more in there. So go read it if you're interested. And we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.